0: Now entering Nerdist.com
1: Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 29, Operation Annihilate.
0: Welcome into another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion,
2: and today I'll be appearing as the alien parasite attached to Ken Ray's back.
0: Hey, are you growing a mustache?
2: Oh, no, that's uh, that's my brother, okay. who uh, right. li- lives on Deneva.
0: I, I, I get the two of you confused. Hey, here's what we're doing. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, analyzing it for messages, morals, and meanings, and figuring out whether the whole thing stands the test of time.
2: This week, Operation Annihilate. Ken, I after every sentence on this episode, I'm going to end up with an exclamation point.
0: Are you really? <sighs>
2: I mean, exclamation point!
0: <laughs> Dude... You're going to be happy by the end of this episode. I'm not going to tell you why right now. I'm not going to spoil it for you. By the end of this episode, you're going to be happy.
2: Really? Okay. Who's to say I'm not happy right now? Well... But you mean I'm going to be happier?
0: I believe you will be by the end of this episode. But we'll save that for, for the end of the episode. Because cool. uh, okay. there, there are things we do at the end of the episode. There are things that we do at the middle of the episode. And there are things that we do at the beginning of the episode. In fact, one of the things that we do at the beginning of every episode is John Champion lays some trivial knowledge down upon us. Hit me with your best shot, friend.
2: All right. So uh, we are talking about Operation Annihilate. And for those of you who are just getting warmed up, we're talking about space parasites on the planet Deneva. And uh, by the way, this episode is you know, spectacularly known for William Shatner in a dual role. <laughs> yes. Um, I, it, it's a little a peek behind the curtain here at the uh, making of TV magic. Uh, that is, in fact, William Shatner playing Jim Kirk's brother, Sam, who we see as a corpse for about, what, 15 seconds, I think?
0: Maybe. Just long enough to yeah. realize there's a caterpillar on his lip. Oh, that's a mustache. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's
2: right. <laughs> right. Uh, so in case there is a confusion between Jim Kirk and Sam Kirk, Sam is the one who has a mustache and is also dead.
0: And is dead. Right. I was going to yeah. say there's, there are two right. ways that you can tell them apart. Right. Actually, a few, uh, because also uh, Sam didn't wear a uh, captain's uniform. Oh,
2: right, right. But he did wear one of those snazzy jumpsuits that we've seen a lot of in Star Trek so far, like Devil in the Dark, and we will see more of in Star Trek. So if you like brightly colored jumpsuits, Star Trek is the show for you. One of the other things that I really like about this episode is that we have a beautiful example of some mid-century architecture on Earth but being used as Deneva. That location is actually Space Park in Redondo Beach, California. You can look it up on Google Maps. It's number one space park. And today it is uh, offices for Northrop Grumman and uh, a development facility for Northrop Grumman. Back in the 60s, back when Star Trek was being filmed there, they were actually developing the lunar module and uh, I believe the Apollo... Uh, command module so I, I that's this really nice little uh slice of space history real world space history and i think it's really effective as a location for this episode i i like it when star trek gets out of the studio and yeah. goes to someplace real and it's
0: a, it's a neat location too because it's it's definitely got this you know 1960s 1970s here's what the future is going to look like mm-hmm. you know a little bit like uh like tomorrowland Yeah, I I was just thinking that. Back back before Tomorrowland went steampunk.
2: Right, right. But the original Tomorrowland. Exactly. But it holds up, you know, it really does. I think it's pretty cool. Um, The other important bit of trivia here is that uh, in the original treatment, this was called Operation Destroy, with the (laughs) exclamation still in place at the end. Yeah, And a lot changed, Um, a whole lot changed. This story had different characters. Uh, you eliminate the Sam Kirk character and Peter uh, uh, Kirk's nephew, and you add in some Denovan characters who are now missing in what was uh, what was actually aired. And it has a decidedly darker uh, tone to it. Um, in fact, there is a very heavy plot line about uh, the Denovans choosing suicide over pain. Um, it's really heavy stuff and, um, it it would take too long to kind of go through point by point, all the things that are different, but, uh, starting, well, actually starting with the last episode, but we're going to continue this trend. We're going to be posting some documents from the Roddenberry archive on our Facebook page. So if you haven't joined yet, please do. We're going to post the entire, uh, original treatment for this episode. So you can go in and you can read all the notes and you can see all of those differences. Um, I promise you it has a very different ending from the story that we'll be discussing today.
1: It is interesting to hear about other treatments for this week's story. But what happened in the story that actually made it to air?
0: Prologue. Kirk is anxious to get in touch with the planet Deneva, though Uhura can't raise anyone on comms. Kirk gives her a private number to try, though. Spock, meanwhile, is tracking an inexplicable mass insanity that destroys entire civilizations, moving in a straight line across the galaxy, headed next for Deneva. On sensors, a one-man Denovan ship has headed straight for the Denovan sun. It's out of range of the Enterprise tractor beam and refuses Kirk's command to reverse its course. Just before diving into the sun, the Denovan pilot says, "'I did it. It's finally gone. I'm free.'" He's toast. Kirk wonders why the Denivan ship would pull the sun dive. Dr. McCoy thinks the mass insanity Spock's tracking may have made it to Deneva, and by the way, Jim, don't your brother and his family live on Deneva? A new revelation as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. Denova Settled over a hundred years ago. One of the most beautiful planets in the galaxy, and apparently nutty as a fruitcake these days. Also, there's been no contact between Deneva and the Federation for over a year. Spot of good news, though. Uhura has managed to place Kirk's private call. Arlen is the woman's name on the other end, and she's begging the Enterprise to hurry. But she can't talk long. They'll know. But please help us. Then static. Uhura can't reestablish contact. Kirk confirms to Bones that his brother Sam and his family do live on Deneva, and that was his sister-in-law. Kirk decides to lead an away team to the planet to investigate. Planet side, there seems to be no one around, at least not outside, though sensors indicate about a million people on the planet. Then a few people come running at the crew. They're brandishing clubs, telling the Enterprise people to get away. They don't want to hurt them. Then they try to. They're stopped in short order by disabling blasts from what looked to be a bunch of Phaser 1s. Checking out the unconscious Denovans, McCoy is perplexed. Unconscious, he should be getting next to no reading off the group, and yet he's reading a lot of mental activity as if they're being violently stimulated. In the distance, they hear a woman scream. They run to investigate, and as luck would have it, this is Kirk's sister-in-law, Arlen and she's freaked out, yelling, They're here! They're here! McCoy sedates her. On the floor are Jim's brother Sam, who is dead, and his nephew Peter, who is unconscious but still alive. Bones says he'll need the mother and boy on the ship if he's going to help them out. Kirk and Spock try to figure out what's going on. There are no known anomalous organisms on the planet, and yet Arlen was trying to keep something out of her living quarters. Spock will stay on the planet to investigate. Bones would like Kirk to be on the Enterprise when his sister-in-law wakes up. Arlen wakes in pain and a bit foggy, almost as if in a heavy fever. She says they came, eight months ago. Things. Horrible things. Visitors brought them from another planet, but it wasn't their fault. The things made them bring the ship. Kirk wants to know what kind of things, but Arlen enters a new world of pain and is unable to answer. The things use pain to control the Denovans. They need them to be their arms and legs, she says. They're forcing the Denovans to build ships for them. She tells Jim not to let them go any further. Then she proceeds to die. Bone says he'll do everything he can to save Peter. Kirk beams down to Denver to get a report. Spock has seen no one else on the planet. They've spotted no creatures, though there was this weird noise that they were about to check out. Kirk suggests setting their phasers on kill before they do. The Enterprise crew finds the source of the noise. They are creatures, and they look like giant amoeba. Or, you know in old movies how people would flip pancakes into the air and they would stick to the ceiling? Yeah, kind of like that. One or two fly at the away team. They fire at the things, though they will not be destroyed by phasers. They don't register on the tricorder. While they're obviously alive, they don't register as life, as Spock and company understand it. Kirk decides to get away from the things, though when their backs are turned, one attaches itself to Spock. Kirk rips the thing off Spock's back, though the Vulcan seems distant and unresponsive. As we go to commercial. Act 2. It appears that Deneva has been entirely taken over by the things. McCoy, meanwhile, is examining the puncture wound left on Spock by whatever it was and did. Bones explains to Kirk that Spock's body is full of these tentacles, entwining and growing around his nervous system. And he dare not touch Kirk's nephew. The things that grow throughout the body from the pancakes sting take over quickly and are far too enmeshed for conventional surgery to remove. Bones has no recommendation. We're all stumped. Back in Sick Bay, Spock wakes up in pain. He leaves Sick Bay and storms the bridge. His apparent goal, to take the ship, though he is eventually subdued. Back in Sick Bay again, Bones says the level of pain being experienced by the people affected by the things is unparalleled. Spock comes to and tells Kirk and Bones that they don't need to restrain or sedate him anymore. He's overcome the pain now. It's all good. He can deal with the pain. He's Vulcan, you know. He does confess that the thing does want to take over the ship. But he's got it under control. But Kirk decides they can't risk it. They'll have to keep him restrained for the time being. Kirk doesn't want his nephew to go through that. He tells Bones to do what he can for them, though Bones reminds Kirk that there are over a million colonists on Deneva, and they need his help too. Both men exit sickbay, leaving no guard on the super-strong, alien-controlled Spock. What could go wrong? Well, he could break free of his restraints, which he does... He goes to the transporter room and demands to be beamed down to the planet, an order refused by Scotty, who says Kirk says no one is to beamed down. After a short scuffle, Scotty holds Spock at the point of a phaser and calls the captain. Kirk confronts Spock on having disobeyed his orders and breaking out of sickbay. Spock says they need to study one of the pancakes, and since he's already been affected, or infected, it makes sense that he should go planet-side and do it. Kirk agrees and lets Spock go. Act 3. On the planet, Spock goes back to where they found the pancakes, shoots one off the ceiling, and secures it to take back to the Enterprise. Back aboard the Enterprise, Spock says that what they have here is a single-celled creature resembling more than anything a huge individual brain cell. So maybe not so much like a pancake then. Kirk says this explains a lot. It looks like the thing could be one cell in a much larger organism. A huge organism. Yep, says Spock, and though not physically connected, it is part of a whole creature, guided by the whole, drawing its strength from the whole. This, Kirk says, could be from an entirely different galaxy, though Spock will go on one better, saying it could be from a place where our physical laws don't even apply. This could make it tough to kill, though Kirk says not impossible. Remember that Denevan that flew his ship into the sun? He said he was free, right before flying his ship into the sun. That's the angle to work. Kirk would like ideas in one hour. Bones is having no luck. High levels of radiation, super high temperatures, nothing seems to kill the thing. Plus, even if those worked, they would kill the human hosts as well. It's not just about Spock and his nephew, though. Kirk says he cannot let the thing spread beyond the colony, even if it means destroying a million people on Deneva. Act 4. When last we left Captain Kirk, he had come to the fairly ugly realization that either they find a way to kill the things without killing the people, or they have to kill the people. All one million of them. Spock says that that's what they'll have to do. Bones says he cannot allow that. If killing five people saves ten, it's a bargain. Is that your logic, Mr. Spock? Kirk won't settle for any option presented so far, but Bones and Spock can find no alternatives. Spock wants to take Kirk's nephew down to the planet, presumably so they can be there to be killed when Kirk finally kills all the colonists. Request denied. They still need to find a solution. So what is it about the sun that killed the thing on the Denovan ship? Well, the sun is hot. It's radioactive, though. That didn't do it. Hey, wait a second. The sun is bright. These things could be photosensitive. Spock says they can rig up a string of satellites to simulate a super bright sun around Deneva. They test the theory in the lab. It works on the thing. Then it works on Spock, though exposure to such high-intensity light leaves him blind. He considers that a fair trade. Then they get the test results back from the thing they killed in the lab. Turns out they didn't need quite that much light to kill it. It would have been possible to rid Spock of the parasite without blinding him. Armed with this new knowledge, they modify the light that they plan to use, rig up a network of satellites, and zap the planet with ultraviolet light. It works! The things on the planet are being cooked by the UV light. Do I smell pancakes? Also, the colonists are saved. And it turns out Spock's blindness was temporary. Vulcans have this other eyelid that they kind of forget about but it protects them from blinding light the end
2: beautiful job ken um (laughs) a couple of things i'd like to point out here yeah Uh, as i mentioned before captain kirk has a brother it's too bad that we treat him with about as much regard as we do an unneeded uh, citation of the prime directive In other words, we uh, we introduce the idea and then we get rid of the idea immediately. Yes. Yeah. His brother's dead. Um,
0: What happens to his nephew?
2: Well, see, that's kind of strange. You know, by the time you get to the end of the episode, we have this whole Kirk family. But at the end, we end up on the bridge. We're glad Spock is okay. And Jim, didn't you have a family? Uh, Whatever. Let's just keep moving.
0: Well, most of the family's dead. It's not like he knows Peter. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, it's, right? I mean, it's like okay, so we know that Peter is going to be okay, yeah. so we're just going to leave him on Deneva I guess.
2: I, I, I guess so. I, I yeah, right. you'd think that yeah. I, so that doesn't.
0: Who's going to teach that kid not to not to you know grow cheesy mustaches?
2: I know, I know, I, mean, I don't know. it's
0: yeah. kind of That's a weird. A thing.
2: Jim Kirk. Yeah, I have some good news though. What's that? Um, according to Doctor McCoy, there are fourteen science labs on the enterprise so you know what that means
0: uh lots of christmas parties
2: (laughs) uh christmas time we got 14 is that really it it.
0: oh my goodness well no wonder um no wonder kirk couldn't quite forget what happened with what's her name
2: yeah because you know
0: she was at one of 14 science lab christmas parties that he might have gone to
2: he had 13 other parties
0: i know it's kind of crazy and the best computers in the galaxy by the way
2: Right. The best computers yes.
0: in the galaxy, according to I, – I, you see, you say it was uh, McCoy. I thought it was Kirk. But I know at one point they're talking about the fact that they can't solve the problem. They can't figure out what's going on. And that's when we find out 14 science labs on the Enterprise and the best computers in the galaxy. You know? Right. I, I could see putting good computers <laughs> right. on the ship. But I don't know if – because yeah. you know, uh, just about, you know, let's say, every other week, the Enterprise almost gets destroyed. It's yeah. it's the flagship, you know, it's the flagship of the Federation or of Starfleet. So there's a chance that we're gonna lose our best captain. We're certainly gonna lose our best first officer. Uh, right. we're gonna lose our shiniest ship and the best computers in the galaxy.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, and they're a very long way away for an upgrade. Yeah, that's, that's, you know?
0: that's true. If yeah. they have to
2: download a new if they have to download a new OS, it's gonna take them a lot longer.
0: Yeah, somebody yeah. who's on Earth need to put yeah. in the Starbase 200 to, uh, to <laughs> right? To, to, to download whatever the next, whatever the exactly. next operating system for a constellation class ship is. Constellation <laughs> class or galaxy class? I always forget. Constellation. Constellation. Good. I, I guess I don't always forget. I just think I do.
2: Right. <laughs> right um i some little things that i liked here uh, uh spock's moment of uh, convincing himself that he is a vulcan and can control his pain made me think of uh, some great moments like the naked time yeah. where spock is having his uh, outward struggle uh in the privacy of the conference room yep so uh some nice work there
0: yeah, yeah. well i mean yes nah we'll get to it in a minute all right. Uh, some okay uh, work there. I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting that we see him do that, but we don't, there's a lot here that could or should be examined and it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like written really quickly. Like, you know, Spock's struggle could almost be enough for at least a, you know, a full act, if not an entire mm-hmm. episode. Uh, and mm-hmm. we get Spock's struggle in about two minutes to the point that I really yeah. didn't think, you know, as I was watching the episode or rewatching the episode the first time in preparation for this, Um, I thought that maybe the, the organism was being a little crafty and was making Spock say, no, no, I've got it in control. Now it's all good. Right. No, no, it's fine. Fine. Let me go. You know? Um, and no, it turns out that what we actually got was about 30 seconds of Spock going, wait a minute, I'm a Vulcan. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And of course he can. Mm -hmm.
2: Do we have a, you know, nobody called out a general order number, yeah? uh, but do we have a general order to wipe out a whole planet again?
0: Uh, I because guess we, so. we
2: introduced that idea and it, it, in a previous episode, and it just seems like, oh, OK, now we're back to this idea that if we need to, we can just wipe out a whole planet.
0: Can I ask another question? Is, is Kurt taking that uh, sort of on himself? I don't want to I don't want to keep bringing up uh, this side of paradise, but in this side of paradise, mm-hmm. we get um, the information that Starfleet has ordered that everybody on that planet be evacuated.
2: Right. Starfleet right.
0: orders that. We never hear that Starfleet is saying, you need to kill everybody on Venema. <laughs> right,
2: wanna, right. We just well, want to get
0: Kirk going, man, if we can't figure out something, we're just going to have to kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it is interesting. You know, our job is only to judge what is in the show, what, what we're actually presented with in the show. There is that presented in the, uh, the document, the treatment That we'll be sharing with our listeners, so you do get a little bit more of that. But yeah, you're right. I I kind of went back to watch the show with that knowledge and realized, well, this is as Kirk saying, this is what I have to do. Right. Hey, I do want to share with you though. uh, We got a, a piece of listener mail here from Jason who um, wrote uh, kind of with the anticipation that we would be doing this episode. And I I just want to read very quickly what he said. Uh, Based on what was shown, they microwaved an entire planet to rid people of interior parasites in a way which would have fried the people and stock just as much, not to mention that the critters would have been burning within them like giant single-celled popcorn had the people somehow been able to avoid getting burned. Extra eyelids won't help you there. Wait, wait for it. Here we go. Live long and phosphor. Thank you, Jason. For for pointing out the obvious.
0: <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I I like the I like the whole, you know, forgetting that they have the eyelid thing. That's 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 just fantastic. Yeah. I also I mean I also Spock comes out. Does Spock normally not? see anything unless he's looking straight at it. I mean, is there like a visual acuity thing about Vulcans that we don't know besides the, you know, imaginary eyelid that they apparently have? Because Spot comes out of the microwave and he's like, hey, that worked. Everything's fine. And then he bumps into a table and that's when he realizes he's blind. (laughs) He doesn't realize he's blind before that.
2: that. I I wondered about that if he just thought, like, well, uh, maybe I'll try to make it look like I'm not (laughs) blind. Oh... (laughs) Games up,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spock. What do sensors indicate? Ah, yeah, right. (laughs) You know, I could tell you, but it—it really is time you learned, Captain. Why don't you tell me what the uh, sensors indicate, and—and—and I'll let you know whether you're right.
1: (laughs) There seems to be a deficiency in my programming. I can speak in question marks, but not in exclamation points. I am therefore not certain I am up to the task of Operation Annihilate. Exclamation point.
2: So it was only a week ago that we were talking about City on the Edge of Forever and Kirk having this uh, high stakes ethical dilemma uh, that one person had to die in order to save millions. And now, He's kind of back in the same position, deciding the fate of a million people on a planet. Um, But that would potentially stop the spread of this uh, nefarious alien organism. Uh, So are we back here with the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few?
0: Yes. I mean, yes, that's definitely the issue. But I didn't really feel like (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. I don't think
0: Kirk's heart was in it. I mean, as far as, because here's the thing, what it reminded me of almost immediately, as soon as he said that, was uh, Kodos the Executioner.
2: Oh, our old friend.
0: Yes. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think think Kirk is really going to adopt the um, Kirk the Executioner moniker? You know, sort of wrest that away from Kodos?
2: Yeah, no, no. I mean, this would be much worse. But there is that moment where you have the captain's log of him saying this is the hardest decision of his life. And I I feel like at the very least, he is taking it seriously, that that is a viable option. Now, you and I know that Kirk wouldn't do it.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing. I I don't even know. I don't even know that I feel like he is uh, considering it to be a viable option. It feels more to me like, I mean, he's on the horns of a dilemma, but we're, we're doing the whole ethos, logos, pathos thing again. Where, um, uh, again, I mean, as they always are, McCoy is ethos, uh, uh, Spock is logos and, and Kirk is pathos. Ethically, Bone says there's no way that he could, you know, condone, let's say, killing all of those people. Logically, Spock says, well, look, there's no alternative. And, you know, I mean, it's funny to say the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few because the few, as you point out, are a million (laughs)
2: <laughs> right, but it's a million compared to Everybody. millions upon millions. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, billions, one might even say. Or maybe billions. even billions like upon billions. I like that word. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, right in the middle of the whole thing, you got uh, Kirk, who is, you know, who sees the logic in what Spock is saying, but also ethically is not going to um, not going to kill all of those people. I mean, he's he's the pathos side. I mean, he's got the the sort of, you know, the heart for the whole thing. I mean, he's he's sort of I guess you could say he's tortured by the idea, but the problem is, I never really got the feeling that he was actually going to do it. Now, this is another thing, though. Like we talked about um, in the last segment, I mean, just as we didn't really see Spock struggle with the whole, oh, I want to try to come over, uh, overcome this. You know, mm-hmm. we don't really see Kirk wrestle with this that much. It's at the end of Act Three that Kirk says, "Oh, I may have to kill everybody." At the beginning of Act Four, he's like, "Oh, I may have to kill everybody," and you know. Spock says, yep, you're going to have to kill everybody. And Kirk says, I'm not going to kill everybody. So, I mean, there's not – I mean, it's really it's, – it's, it's, it's less ethics, more Columbo. Yeah. In Kirk's treatment of the whole thing. He's like, no, there's got to be a solution. Come on, I'm looking for a third way. We can't, we can't let this thing take over the universe. Uh, we can't kill all these people. Give me something else.
2: But isn't it interesting that logical Spock is kind of uh, you know stymied with the, the, the idea that there has to be another option here? I mean, he was, he, he's just ready to say, well, you know, th- this is your first best option. Go <laughs> ahead and wipe out everybody <laughs> on that planet. We're back to enforcer Spock. Exactly.
0: You know? Occam's you know? razor. Uh, the simplest solution is the best. Beam right. me down and then, you know, toast me yeah. or whatever yeah. it is you have to do. Throw this planet in the sun. <laughs>
2: Spock, you got to think outside the box a little more, you know? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But he, he is willing to, you know, again, in in both senses, throw himself into the line of fire. Yeah. You know, because he has that, as you're saying, he's the logos here, the, the purely mathematical, logical assessment of the problem. Um, so in addition to him sort of judging what needs to be done with the planet, he is judging what needs to be done with himself, either to be beamed back down to the planet and or to be experimented upon. By McCoy. You know, I I found that really interesting. You know, history has all these kinds of interesting and fortunately successful examples of people who tested upon themselves and then discovered something great. But the ones we don't hear about are the ones who threw themselves into experimentation <laughs> and then died in the process, <laughs> you know. So
0: that's a great idea. I'm sorry. So uh, they 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 finish cleaning up the microwave, you know, from Spock, right? And right. Then say, okay, well, we do have your nephew. Yeah. <laughs> And a million right. people down on the planet. I mean, that's the other thing. What was the hurry? There, I mean, there, so so there's the Enterprise. They know there are no other ships coming. They know that they haven't even had contact with the Federation for the past year. Maybe right. they don't know that there aren't other ships coming, but they could have, you know, basically thrown police tape around the whole thing or some sort of contagion, you know, virtual contagion tent and kept everybody away until they found a cure. Sure. I mean, this again, I mean, I, I wasn't thinking quite so much in, in – um, in these terms, but it does go back to the Kodos thing a tiny bit. I mean, the third option could have been let's wait and try some more stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there are a lot of unknowns in in this episode and, and it's not necessarily the fault of the writer or the production is again, you have the constraint of a 48 minute TV show, Uh uh, but you don't know, how fast these things move, what their plan is, where they're going—you know, it, there's just a lot of stuff that you don't know. You don't know no, how we,
0: no, much. That, that's actually covered in the beginning. Uh, the, uh, this um, this insanity well, that that Spock is talking about uh, that moves in a straight line, okay? right? So, and we know
2: where they've come from,
0: right? And we know how yeah. long it started over 200 yeah. years ago. So I mean, this right. takes a bit of time. So, we don't know
2: where they're going. We don't we don't know what you know what what the next step is precisely and we <laughs> well, don't know wait, what uh, they're,
0: they're going in a straight line
2: well i <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: no i mean seriously they're going yeah. in a straight line i mean you're saying that there are lots of variables that we just don't know but i mean given what we've been given at the beginning of the episode for whatever reason this thing wants to move in a straight line even though it's now got access to starships
2: yeah it well, used a starship
0: just... to get to Denova, and now it's asking Denovans to keep building in a planet but it only knows one direction apparently straight line that's where we're going we're going well, unfortunately in, in
2: space. Is a lot of uh, there's a lot of empty space when you travel in a straight line.
0: Right. So it yeah. doesn't seem to phase this thing though.
2: No, 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 no. Um, and we don't know exactly how much has been learned about the creature from Spock's studies. You know, yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we certainly we come up with a way to kill it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but we don't know a lot about it.
0: We don't actually know though that we've killed the thing in the end. We've killed these like individual parts of it, right? But right, as, right, right, as right. they say in the, in the episode, I mean, it's it's even though it's not connected or even though yeah. they're not connected, they're part of a whole feeding the whole, you know, doing that whole thing. So is it there? Like, like, do all just like do all of those things, those cells on the planet, do they constitute the whole or is this whole elsewhere?
2: Well, we don't know. I, I kind of got the impression that it was elsewhere and they were going to it. But. I, we don't know.
0: That's an interesting uh, idea. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's really not explored at all. I like to think that it's the turtle, um, you know, on which the entire universe rides. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. it's turtles all the way down. Yeah. yeah. Well, just
0: one. Yeah. Or yeah, or, yeah. or Gaia. I don't know. It right. could be from uh, from the Asimov novels. I don't know what it is, but I didn't feel like that was uh, adequately explored.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot that maybe wasn't adequately adequately explored here. Yeah.
0: I know we were talking with um, with um, Rod earlier. Mm-hmm. He had this um, sort of he, he sort of had a surprised reaction uh, to this episode in that um, Kirk Bones and McCoy. I, why do I keep naming him twice? Kirk, <laughs> Kirk Spock, and McCoy mm-hmm. um, want to kill these things. Yeah, without really studying them. Yeah. I, I, have to, I have to disagree with our pal. I think, I think when they, you know, drive people insane, force them to build starships, and try to move on to another planet to take over, that's yeah. about as much studying as we need.
2: Well, I, I agree with him to the extent of what I just said, that there are so many unknowns, and we've done just enough study to figure out how to kill it. Um, but, I, you know, maybe there's something we didn't see on camera, Maybe they kept one so <laughs> that they could, have, so they could do a little experimentation, find out what this thing is. Because, you know, again, we've run into this unknown, the, this being mm-hmm. um, that, that has, I, I don't know if you necessarily call it a consciousness, but at least some, some motivation. And, um, yeah, we, and our goal here is to kill it and move on.
0: Well, except is our, goal to ki- is our goal to kill it or is our goal to kill these little things that are part of it? I mean, you say we don't know if it's a consciousness, but we do know that it's using pain to stop them from talking. We know yeah, that uh, yeah. uh, Kirk's sister-in-law actually says that she can't talk long because they will know. Right, right. And we do know that it is forcing them to build ships. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so again, you know, do, do we hang on to one or two of these things and uh, try to communicate? With them, maybe the same way you'd communicate with a horta. Um, but I think Spock has probably had enough of these little things. Yeah, it's, it's that, <laughs> you know
0: um, what I wish that we weren't doing, and it feels to me like this is what we're doing in this episode. is the same thing that we've done with every pan galactic super being that we've come across. Granted, this one seems to be um, evil, mm-hmm. and but maybe that is just from our standpoint. I mean, we may actually be we may be to whatever is controlling these pancakes as the Horta was to us, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe this thing, you know, this this multicellular, gigantic, you know, so big you can't even see it, organism, um, just thinks of us as like horses. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't realize there's actually any intelligence to us. I mean, maybe it's just like pulling the bridle, you know, right. and trying right. to, and, and making us do what it wants, even if that thing is to build a spaceship. Maybe it still doesn't see... Did that, you know, equals some higher brain function as far as we're concerned? So maybe we're the unthinking beast to whatever this, you know, thing is. That said, uh, killing the little pieces that are trying to take over everybody, I'm still okay with. Even, yeah. if, it is, even if it is just going to go in a straight line. Let's assume it's going to miss, you know, Earth entirely and it's going to miss the Klingon homeworld entirely. And it's going to miss, you know, wherever anybody Vulcan. Let's say it's going to miss that too. Let's say the next planet is the Paclid planet,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: of course we won't see for a, at least a century. Right. Um. Even so, I would say, uh, yeah, I'm I'm okay with 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 stopping the little individual pieces from moving on. I would like to know, though, is there some you know big super being that we should be trying to communicate with, or are we going to treat this like you know the Metron and? And Trelane's folks and, you know, all the other super beings that we come across, the uh, telosians the, the yep. where we would just say, oh, wow, look at you, super being. Bye. Right.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, to me, it looks like um – Pretty much most of the job of Starfleet in the 23rd century is a setting up quarantine <laughs> all over the galaxy.
0: Don't even think to do it for Deneva, but you're absolutely right. Let's, let's put a cone there so that nobody, <laughs> right. nobody sails into that. And the, the new plant, oh, let's put a cone here so nobody yeah. goes crashing into that. And, uh, yeah, don't talk to anybody well, let's just not talk to anybody. I know it's our, our mission to seek out new life and new civilization. <laughs> and then we'll just we'll just put like a little you know, put a cone right there to make sure yeah, that nobody yeah. bothers that new life and new civilization. Yeah,
1: oh
2: we sought that out. I guess we're done. <laughs>
1: Jim Kirk's an amazing disappearing nephew, and a stack of parasitic pancakes. How does Operation Annihilate stand up decades later? Well, John, I told you at the
0: beginning of this episode that I was going to give you a surprise at the end of this episode, that I was going to, dare I say, make you happy by the end oh. of this episode. Oh, really? I, I know you predicted this about a week, maybe a week and a half, two weeks early. Mm-hmm. Miri is off the hook.
1: <gasps> no.
0: Absolutely. I personally no. think that Operation Annihilate, and it's sad to me that this is the way the first season ends. Yeah. This is my least favorite episode of the first season.
2: Wow. Wait, so we're stacking up Operation Annihilate yep. with, uh, with Miri. I am. And, okay, and Lazarus.
0: yeah. Well, I, yeah. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't dislike um, The Alternative Factor nearly as much as you did.
2: Because I really disliked
0: it. I know. You really disliked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. thought that was going to be the most hated episode of the season as far as I was concerned. You, my friend, were wrong. It was, Mary. But we have a new winner. There's too much here that just doesn't work. I mean, there's too much here to me. It's ponderous. Mm -hmm. All right. It's, and it's just, I mean, again, we're doing the same thing that we've always done where, hey, new life form, let's not ask too many questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, I've got a family, let's not talk about them. Hey, (laughs) I may have to destroy an entire civilization, but I'm not going to worry about it too much. Hey, you know, says Spock, I have this, you know, this thing that's trying to take over my body, but wait a minute, I'm a Vulcan, so I can do that. Oh, and I have extra special magic eyelids. And there's just, I mean, it just... Yeah. I am curious because I will I will fully confess I have not yet taken a look at what you're going to be posting as far as the you know the the other treatment. Yeah. Uh, I am intrigued though when you say that uh, that it it stands to be darker because it needs to be darker. There mm-hmm. needs to be more examination in this. And what this instead felt to me We watch we watch these episodes more than once every week. And I watched it and I was like very disappointed. But then I still had to go back and watch it again to take the notes. And I thought going back to watch it and, you know, to make the, you know, the more in-depth notes, I thought, well, it can't really be as bad as I remembered. It really was as bad as I remembered.
2: <laughs> That's interesting because I, I had the opposite uh, journey to, than you. Really? So, yeah, but, because here's the thing. I, uh, overall, does the production hold up? Well, no. No. No no. no, no, it does not. Um, you you
0: made a, you you said a great thing. Forgive me not to interrupt you. Um, hmm. I, I liken them to pancakes only because of the whole thing where they were sticking to the walls or the ceiling. Right. Uh, you actually uh, nailed it though, as far as what they look like. Right. Somebody's eggs. frying eggs. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> um, I, just from a production point of view, yeah, we have that really cool location, but the effects yeah. are kind of lousy and we can't get around that. But as a story, uh, as a script, uh, there's just a lot of repetition, just a lot of foot dragging. Um, I, I, I just, yeah, a, a, as a story, this is not a well told story. And we introduce ideas that we completely drop, ideas that could have improve the episode if we had followed up on them yeah um but i will say this though unlike you i actually liked it better on the second and third viewing hmm. so and i think the reason was that once i'd gotten past the idea of a little space amoeba of fried eggs once i gotten past to sort of knowing what the mystery is and how they solve it then i was just anticipating kirk's dilemma uh mccoy's reactions with spock and spock's insufferable smugness by the end of the episode so all of that stuff improved it for me but at the end of the day it's not nearly enough to save this one now so i i still i would put this above the alternative factor i would put it above miri i'm so glad to hear that uh miri is now off the hook from you even though it's <laughs> not nearly one of my favorite episodes um i would still rank this one better um, it's quite possible.
0: It might tie Miri, honestly, mm-hmm. because I'm trying to remember what it is that places Miri over this one. And honestly, what it is in my mind that places Miri over this one could just be time. Mm-hmm. It could be mm-hmm. that it's been it's right. been several weeks now since I've watched Miri, and it has not been nearly as long uh, since I watched Operation Annihilate. And, and I will say point blank, it has definitely not been long enough. <laughs> since I watched Operation <laughs> Annihilate. In well, summation, I, I am not a fan of this episode.
2: Right. Well, well, there are still things that I like here, and I think just as a piece of science fiction, the idea is pretty cool mm-hmm. uh, of the, these cells that are part of a larger organism, and they they have this kind of uh, mission that they're on, and we've got to stop it. You know, just as a piece of science fiction, not bad, but as an episode of Star Trek, not that good.
0: Yeah, it would be. It, all of that would be cool, though, if we did anything like examine it. I mean, this to me is sort yeah, of the right, difference. Right. This is the difference between Starship Troopers and Ender's Game, right? right? Where Starship Troopers, the novel by Heinlein, is great for what it is, especially when you consider everything else that Heinlein wrote. I mean, there was so much about, you know, free love and. I guess yeah. socialism. I don't know. There was, there was a certain I – mean, there, there were real examinations of society, what it is, what it could be, and a lot of what Hyland had written. And I believe – I may be wrong about this. I may be misremembering. But I believe Starship Troopers, which is very much about power armor and military moves and, and going on bug hunts and just killing your enemy – I right. believe came right after *Stranger in a Strange Land*, which actually upset a lot of Heinlein's fans. But uh, all of that aside, *Starship Troopers* is very much you know we're in the crap because I can't mm-hmm. say the actual word, but we're we're down <laughs> in it, you know, and, yeah. and we gotta we gotta slog our way through it, and we gotta get out of it. That's pretty much what Operation Annihilate is, as opposed to *Ender's Game*, which is kind of like. Uh, okay, so we have this war and we're training for this war, and it turns out we've actually been fighting this war. And all of a sudden, you know, we through that series of books, we get turned on to the idea that it wasn't everything that we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. We're only getting like, you know, just that 15 minutes in Operation Annihilate of, ah, oh, we're in the middle of it. Let's get out of it. Yeah. Without the examination. And the examination is what makes Star Trek so wonderful. If all you're going to do is, you know, do the star fight, you might as well be watching Wing Commander or, you know, some bad science fiction, incredibly bad science fiction. You might as well just be watching explosions at that point. Right, right. It's the examination that makes Star Trek wonderful, and when they leave off, you know, any serious examination in this episode, they leave off the wonderful bit.
2: Well, yeah, it's the missed opportunity here that makes this one kind of hard to swallow. Yes. Is that even if you give it that are some good science fiction ideas presented here yes uh, there's just no follow through yeah. and that's really a shame so you know as we do every week uh we try to look for a message is there a message in this episode other than don't step into a uh, full body size microwave
0: yeah i can't really think of one yeah did you i mean was there one as far as you were concerned
2: Uh, Not really, you know, if there is something interesting to be mined from this, you know, I like the idea that we have an ethical dilemma, although you I I think you make a very good case for the idea that it's not as genuine an ethical dilemma for Kirk as we saw last week in City. And and I totally agree with you there, although I do still think that uh, the the possibility of total annihilation was on the table, if only for a moment. Um, So the, the ethics of it. Are interesting to kick around. But in terms of a message, I I don't really think there's one here.
0: No, I don't think so. You know? I mean, like, we, like we've said many times before, you can pull those things out. I mean, there is certainly the whole ethos, pathos, logos examination that we're talking about. There is the possibility of, okay, well, let's say they actually had tried everything. And then Kirk was sitting there trying to figure out what to do.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: yeah, I mean, it really it, it sort of feels like I mean, it's not Mad Libs, but it's what it feels like. It, it, it feels like story cards in yeah. a way. Do you know what I right. mean? Where we never right. where we never get to the part of this matters to the characters because, I mean, Kirk's brother is dead. I know. I know. <laughs> and yeah. that gets mm, maybe a minute, maybe a minute and a half of Kirk's attention. And then it's just, you know, all right, well, now we got a mystery to solve.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well, and that's is it. The, the disappointment here is that it feels like it's not very sophisticated storytelling, and we've gotten a lot of very sophisticated storytelling in Star Trek so far. Yeah.
0: yeah. So,
2: um, so there are ideas, there are topics here, but there's not a message, um, and that's okay. I, I, it's okay for Star Trek to not always have a message, but our disappointment of this episode is for a myriad of, of <laughs> other reasons. <laughs>
0: Right. right. If it delivers another way is then it's OK for it to not have a message or a hit you over the head message. Sure. Um, if, however, I mean, it just, you know, it's like it's like you wake up on Christmas morning and, and somebody gives you a picture of what they're going to be getting you. Right. <laughs> it's, it's kinda, that's kind of that's kind of this episode. Oh, look, there could be ethical dilemmas. There could be there could be, you know, real trouble. Um, see how neat that would look. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right, that that would look kind of neat. You know, what's amazing to me. What we're uh, at the end of season one.
2: Oh, see, it isn't so. It's crazy, right? Wow, I
0: know. Yeah, I can't. Oh. So only what <laughs> twenty, half and more seasons to go, plus the movies. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Nah, it's cake. It's absolutely cake. Up. Yeah. We would love it if you would come along with us for the whole journey, and we would love it if you would participate as well. There are a few ways you can do that. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter at the handle Mission Log Pod, or you can call us, 323 522 5641. 323 522 5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And, of course, we would love it if you would check out our website as well, missionlogpodcast.com. There's no direct contact link, I don't think, there. But there's a link to all those other things that I mentioned where you can contact us. So, really, if you're not able to get in touch with us, John says you're just not trying. I think there may be extenuating circumstances, but John's being fairly hard on you.
2: I say you're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, guess what? Yeah, so season two already starting next week. Join us, please, for a muck Time.
1: Some of the music for the Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. This episode of Mission Log brought to you by Frosted Parasitic Pancake Flakes. Remember boys and girls, a balanced breakfast is the best way to conquer the day and the universe. And transmission now leaving Nerdist.com.